Well, welcome to King's. I've been uh, looking forward to speaking in the Undivided series. To be honest, I think it's uh, been absolutely fantastic uh, so far. I think the teaching, the group discussions have been so encouraged by the church's openness. And as we've really endeavoured to address some very challenging subjects. I've been just, I just want to commend you up front. I think we've handled it very maturely. Uh, the seminar on Wednesday evening was open and real. It's healthy. I was very encouraged by that evening. Uh, I think the teaching has been great. Andrew started well, strong, but uh, Aussie and Free and uh, Charles took it up for me to another level. Absolutely extraordinary, brilliant teaching. Uh, it's put the senior pastor under a little pressure, but we'll be okay. So uh, before I get into the message, I just want to thank you for your prayers. So many of you will know that uh, alongside leading Kings, I also lead an apostolic fellowship called New Frontiers. And uh, I hosted uh, our global conference, which is in Cyprus. We had about 150 leaders all around the world. And New Frontiers is now involved in 90 nations, so thousands of churches in 90 different nations, and uh, we gathered the kind of apostolic fellowship and some of their uh, team uh, and next generation leaders, and we had a fantastic time. Uh, Faria and a couple of our musicians uh, helped lead worship, which was just wonderful, uh, and uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers. I'm very encouraged about what God is doing in our wider family. And then also just to let you know that last week, Deb and I were in Bulgaria. I've never visited Bulgaria before. We flew in on the Monday, came back out on the Thursday. We were visiting a, a group of churches, about 40, 50 churches, predominantly in the north of the country. It was sobering. You're going into um, the legacy of the Soviet Union. Uh, and most of these situations were fairly rural. I was very impressed with the leaders there. I was very impressed with the churches I saw. But there are kind of unique challenges that that nation is facing with uh, actually migration out of the nation. So population decline uh, and economic uh, challenges far greater than what we face here in our nation, though they are real. Uh, and it was just, just a privilege uh, to visit and see what God is doing there. Fascinating as we come into our subject today, obviously they're reaching predominantly Bulgarians. And I think it's important as we just as an opening comment that one of the issues we're looking at this is a contextual one. We live in a very diverse city, global city, and so therefore it's important that we apply the biblical teaching into those that uh, walk through our doors while at the same time, for example, the, the Apostle Peter was called to a people group. He was called predominantly to the Jews. And so therefore, we, uh, while uh, looking at this uh, vision, which I hope to do today, to, a vision of a church that is made up of different age, stage, ethnic background, we also know that in many parts of the world, it's just one people group, one tribe, uh, and that's all you know, if you're in Bulgaria, in the north of Bulgaria, there, there are not many people from all around the world. So we also need to hold these things in tension. Um, but it was a privilege to see these churches and, yeah, really very impressed with what I observed. Uh, I also just want to thank you for your generosity again. I'm delighted to tell you that in the month of October, we gave together 
uh, around £210,000. I mean, that's remarkable just in one month. Uh, Just to give you context, last year when we did the offering, we actually did it in November, we did about £225,000. So it's amazing, but it's, you know, we've got to keep it real with the challenge we have before us, which is to get to £2.1 million this year. Uh, And therefore, I think we'll get there if if a thousand people give £10 more per month. That's the way we really do it rather than just what was a good push in October. You will see me again in the new year if we need to catch up. But um, at the moment, uh, I'm in faith for it. Uh, Let's get to our series, Undivided. I'm going to read from Galatians uh, 3 today. And uh, let's pick up at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ, we are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed, have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that uh, as Long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. And the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Paul continues his argument in these verses that the law has served its purpose uh, and that in his perfect timing, he sent his son, so that the law could be, in a sense, placed in our hearts. In fact, it's like the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant that we would read in, say, Jeremiah 31, that I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Or as Charles so brilliantly last week talked out of Ezekiel, the fact that really in the end this is a heart issue and we need our hearts full of God and full of the Holy Spirit, if we are going to grapple with the issues of um, racism and grace. This is the pinnacle of the letter with these famous verses. You are now sons of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself With Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So a couple of comments on this first. Um, I think it's important we use biblical words. So here it talks about sons. 
That doesn't mean that we're not all children of God. It doesn't mean we're not, uh, you're not a daughter of God or a, or a son of God. If you're a guy, if you're a girl, a daughter of God. But the Bible uses the word sons, a bit like the Bible uses the word bride to talk about the church. So I'm a bride, okay? So if you're thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a woman, but how can I be a son? Well, I, I, I'm a bride. And, and uh, so don't get hung up on the language, but we're all sons through faith. And uh, it's important to say that in verses 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. Now, that is not talking about we're going to be gender fluid here, okay? So it's not saying that you're not a man or you're not a woman, or in fact that you're not Nigerian or you're not white British. Uh, you are. So it's not dismantling your um, heritage or your biological sex or your class or your upbringing or, or things like that. It's just not saying that that is the grounds of salvation. And it's all saying you don't have to add the law to it. In this situation, you don't have to be uh, circumcised to be accepted in to uh, the people of God. It's through faith in Christ. And that's what he's arguing here. And uh, uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. All these are irrelevant for your status in Christ. Or as Billy Graham put it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come, whatever our background um, and we come to Jesus on, on the level playing field. And that's how we uh, should approach um, uh, being a believer, that it's through faith, not through outward signs. I mean, if there was any outward sign, and is it in the text, it's baptism. That, that baptism is the response, it's the outward expression of internal renewal and salvation in our hearts, which is why we teach believers baptism. Um, when we moved to King's uh, some 27 years ago in 1995, um, the church was significantly smaller, probably 150 but on a good, good Sunday, maybe a couple of hundred, uh, and it was a uh, a white majority church. In fact, I remember a good friend who Deb worked with, who uh, she was an outstanding singer, black woman who uh, was in The Lion King, just remarkable. She, she, she came to one of our prayer meetings or one of our Sundays and she said to, to, to Deb and me, she said, I've never been to a white majority church before. And I was like, what do you mean white majority? Look how diverse we were. And the truth was that we wasn't as diverse as I thought we was. In fact, just so you know, up front, I could have titled this message, not one in Christ or undivided. I could have just titled it, the mistakes a white pastor has made leading a diverse church. And there's a lot of material that we could work with. And it is, it's just the, the, uh, the goodness of God that we are where we are. Uh, and I think partly where they are is my heart is really, I, I want uh, people to, know they're loved by God and I want to build a community that takes all our different journeys and displays the wonder of Jesus. Um, but that's my heart, but don't always get it right. We went on a, a journey and to be honest, when I came at 32, I was pretty naive. Um, 
I was very unaware. I was really uneducated. Uh, I'd actually had uh, two very close friends, Winston and Hewlett, who were second-generation Caribbeans in Bedford. So had grown up being a little bit aware. I'd seen some racism, uh, but I was really very naive, and I'm very grateful to Owen and Colin, uh, who were in my first discipleship group. Uh, obviously, Owen now leading his own church. Colin still in the church. And they helped me hugely to sort of uh, wise up and become more aware. And people like Mavis Stewart, and some of you remember her now with the Lord, would have been a champion. We must support and help the pastor. I remember literally having groups around my house sort of stumbling through this subject and, uh, and all the legacy and pain issues that are associated with it and having godly men and women cover me and back me and, and help me learn uh, and I, I hope I am still doing that. Um, to be honest, for the first decade at King's, we had so many other problems, we, uh, we didn't really address this subject that often. The church was hurting, the building was run down, the church was in decline numerically, there were challenges with money, there were oh, multiple of issues in the church, a lack of trust in leadership. So to be honest, for the first five, six, seven years, we were just trying to be church and preach Jesus and love people. Uh, but in the early 2000s, we started to grow. And as we started to grow, more people who were non-white started to attend. And it was as that began to happen, we and I, particularly as the leader of the church, started to engage with it. So, and it was just, and still is, a learning process. So in 2004, I went to South Africa, uh, to a very diverse church called Jubilee in Cape Town. I visited Robin Island, I will never forget, standing outside Nelson Mandela's um, cell and just trying to get my head around the, the legacy of apartheid and all, all, all the challenges that nation faced and still does. And I remember meeting a guard, uh, sorry, um, a, a guide who used to be a prisoner. And him, I mean, it was just mind-blowing uh, and uh, yeah, very, very forming in my journey in this subject area. Uh, and then in 2008, maybe another defining moment was when we connected with David Anderson, who's based in Baltimore, and invited him over, and we did our first teaching series called Gracism. Um, and we've just been on a journey. We've had other moments. We've always taught on it annually, and then we've had teaching series like Invited in 2017, and now Undivided Now. Um, and the church over that period has grown hugely numerically uh, and, you know, is, is still, even post-COVID, six, seven times what we were when we started in 95. And now is, I mean, it's just got a, a, a massive spectrum of different ethnic heritage and people say, well, I'm black British, I'm, I'm white British, I'm Nigerian, I'm Caribbean, I'm from, I'm not just Caribbean, I'm Jamaican, and, and all this, uh, uh, this wonderful diversity that makes the church that we call kings. And it's, you've got some very wealthy people, you've got some people that are really struggling, you've got age and stage. It's quite unique. Uh, and I go around the world quite a bit and many churches and friends, we are called to steward this vision because uh, uh, 
Global Christianity is going more urban, 70% of the world live in major cities, and therefore the issue of what we're modeling here is very topical uh, for many churches. And uh, so there's a responsibility there. But that's been our journey. Uh, and it's meant, it's, it's, it's meant pastoring, if I just personally pastoring that is, is quite demanding. It's, it's a, I, mean, I love it, but it's really challenging. And I sometimes have said to you, wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier for you if, we, if it was just all the same rather than different? Um, just, we're just a Nigerian church or a white British church or a Caribbean church because, and all the same age. That would make it easier as well because then you haven't got all these different narratives coming together that occasionally clash. It's challenging because I've had to learn and continue to learn about different terminology like stereotypes and imposter syndrome and glass ceilings and white flight and institutional racism and woke and white guilt and white privilege and white fragility and anti-racism and color blindness and black, brown and white. And I mean, it just adds complication, doesn't it? especially when the terms themselves mean different things to different people and the terms themselves tend to change in their meaning over time. So this is the world we're in and it, it means that it's, it's, it's complex. And as we heard on Wednesday night, so helpfully, and everyone comes from their own, with their own like worldview, very often shaped by their, their own journey. So it may ask the question, why are we trying to build a church like this? Well, we do it contextually. That's where we live. So that's very important. Uh, and we do it because we see in the scripture that God has always been after a diverse community. And sometimes we've done it uh, because literally people who are different have walked in through the front room and we never turned anyone away. In fact, I've actually asked a number of the black community over the years, why did you even come to Kings with the white pastor? Uh, and there are some push and pull factors, if we're honest. In fact, I, I don't know if some of you remember, I was invited by Pastor Mike that leads Lewisham Tabernacle to come in a, a conversation uh, was, uh, in just after the death of murder of uh, George Floyd. And uh, uh, I, I said, yeah, it was a time to speak. And he kept talking to me, he said, um, you know, you're, you're, you've got a white leadership, but you've got a, a, a black church, is what he said on the evening. And I, it just wasn't the moment to sort of, I, I, I think I answered by just saying, well, it, people are free to come and they're, they're, they're free to go. Um, and, uh, but I know that a number of people have joined Kings because of uh, experiences they've had in other churches, either led by a black pastor or a white pastor. So it's, it's relevant to whatever your church background, but, but people have joined Kings sometimes for the misuse of authority and sometimes for the misuse of money. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons they've ended up here. And more positive is that I've talked to a number of people who said, like, I want to share Jesus with people. And if I share a Jesus with someone and they get saved, I'm not sure I could take them to my African church, uh, particularly if they're not African themselves. And so I need to find a place which can bridge my missional heart to where we live. So these are some of the kind of other factors that have meant our church has transitioned to where it is now. Uh, 
And I'm hoping that we're going to continue to remain diverse and we won't actually ultimately in the end just end up being like other churches that end up with one people group or one colour of skin. So we still need to fight for this vision. Why are we doing it then? Well, I think we do it really, for me, the, the answer to the why is actually a theological one. It's a biblical view of the gospel and God's people and his church. And therefore, it's very important that at the very foundation of this conversation that we don't want to be undivided is that we really understand that we are one in Christ not because of anything that represents our culture or cultural heritage, but that we are joined together because of faith and Jesus. And that's what this passage does. In fact, you've seen me do this before. When I'm preparing, I try and draw out some key words. Well, what I've done here, you can see it on the screen, is I want to emphasize that there are really two key words when uh, Paul is trying to address Galatians where there is division between people and people are trying to add on the law. He's saying, no, we are all sons in God because of faith. And you can see here, I've put it in the kind of yellow color. And just to put it in this context, I've gone back to verse 22, um, that it gives faith in Jesus Christ and might be given to those who believe. And before faith came, and we were locked up until faith should be revealed so that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, verse 25 and then verse 26, and you're all sons of God through faith. So we, our acceptability to God is through faith and it is in the person of, of Jesus Christ. So we are in verse 22, in Jesus Christ, in verse 24, and, and uh, it, it leads us to Christ. Or in verse 26, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and you have clothed yourself with Christ. And for you are all one in Christ Jesus and you, you belong to Christ. And so in the, midst of, in the midst of discussing all the issues of legacy and institutional racism uh, and the ongoing experience of glass ceilings and stereotypes and all that, we, that um, look, that's all there, everyone. I, I see it and it needs to be challenged and people need to find healing. But we must at the same time hold, while we have that conversation, this overarching message of the gospel that actually we are acceptable to God. Um, through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore called in this location to display the power of the gospel by being undivided and being one in Christ, unified with all the complications and pain that we would display to the world the power of the gospel, that through faith in Christ, different people with very different life experiences can be in fellowship and be the family of God. That's the dream. That's why we're trying to build this type of church. And I think it's just the heart of God and it's right through scripture. It starts and it's alluded to in the passage, it starts with the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of all nations. 
Um, you find it in the prophet Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 46, uh, sorry, 49 verse 6, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's captured in the Great Commission. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's expressed in the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus uh, sorry, Ephesians 2.15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Making peace first between God through faith in Christ Jesus and then peace between difference and different people that in Christ through the power of the gospel that we are undivided. And then ultimately, wow, we're going to be, uh, this is what heaven's going to be like everyone. It's going to have loud music. No, I'm joking. It's, 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 I hope it has loud music because you know, I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm of the more tradition that likes to kind of say, woohoo, okay. But a picture in heaven, when we get there, it will be made up of people from every tribe and every nation, every class, every uh, caste. Um, and Revelations 7, 9 says, and after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Wow, what a day, what a day. And part of the vision we have is to display heaven on earth. And we do it every time we come on Sunday. And we gather and you look across and you say, people are really different to me here. But my common ground is faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the dream, everyone. So while working praying for, challenging, bringing justice, uh, learning, uh, empathizing. We hold intention that, because that's reality, it is for many of us and many of you, yeah? but at the same time we hold this dream that inspires us to be the people of God. So look, uh, just a, a, a couple of quick applications from this. So let's continue through this series. I, I think James 1.19 is a great uh, verse to kind of, if you're thinking as you engage in your groups and any uh, conversations you have, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's just a great framework for this dialogue. Yeah. So can I continue to encourage us to do that? I think we are. Okay, so, but keep doing that. But there are times, as Ozzy so helpfully said, to speak and act. And you speak and act within the realm of your influence, is what he implied. And, uh, and, and so I want to say that, that that's what I've endeavoured to do as the pastor, the senior pastor, the lead elder, the father of the house, whatever word you want to put on me, uh, is that is, there's a responsibility for me to act. And I've been influenced by George Yancey's writings before I recommended the book we're looking at at the moment. And one of the things that I, I read, oh, 
it could be 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, he said, look, it's really important you have diverse leadership. If you really want to get voice represented in the community, you have to have diverse leadership. And one of the things that came back from our survey was that I think it's probably because the preachers, uh, because we have, I'm the lead elder, but we also our teaching pastor is white, Andrew Wilson, um, is that you may not be aware of how diverse our leadership is, particularly in the senior leadership roles in the governance of kings. And so I just wanted to tell you, we're not perfect, we still got a way to go, but just to be accountable to you that where we can, we have made intentional steps to ensure that uh, the, the governance, the senior leadership of, of kings reflects the community we're in. It. We've probably still got a way to go, but we, we, we have made some real steps. So first, I just want to remind you who the elders are. There's myself and Deb. Uh, well, I'm the elder. Deb, Deb's married to me. There's Kwaku and Lucy. There's Ozzy and Andrew there. There's William and Hilary. And there's Andrew and Rachel. And we want you to know that Ernest uh, uh, and Hazel, uh, Ernest has been sitting in, in our elders meetings for the last couple of years. And we'll probably come to you at some point in the future and say we would like to uh, recognize him as an elder amongst us. So that's one body. Uh, that uh, governs at Kings, brings spiritual oversight to the church, but also at Kings, our trustees are very empowered, an important group. Uh, and here, I just want to remind you who they are. The chair of trustees is uh, Simon Lindley. We also have a number of our elders as trustees. So you can see Ozzy, Quaco, and uh, William are also trustees. Um, and then we have Ao and um, the wonderful Roberta. And uh, so that is, they, they really are the people that hold ultimate responsibility or power or decision-making or influence, whatever word you want to put on it and you're comfortable with, uh, at Kings. And we hope you're encouraged by that. Uh, I, I, we've probably still got things and ways to go uh, to have true representation. We're not actually looking for quotas, so you know. We're actually looking for anointing and gifting, and these people are there in their own rights, and they are outstanding. I was in a trustees meeting with them, uh, this week, I attend trustees. I'm not on the trustees. I'm accountable ultimately to the elders and the trustees and the oversight of this church. Uh, but I just hope that encourages you. We are endeavoring um, to reflect who we are. I also, in my role within New Frontiers, have initiated some change that reflects the diversity of our global movement. Small steps, but it's a start. I want to land today by, haven't had time to, but there's a whole load of verses I haven't really got to, but there's two key moments where God sends. He says, he sent his son and then he sent the Holy Spirit, that we who are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can cry, Abba, Father. That ultimately, we have a father in heaven that loves you, loves us, sent his son, sent his spirit. And our response is yes, to worship him. And one way we do that is display the power of God by being a community that are one in Christ and are undivided.